We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 184 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, the day after another change for the Washington football team at kicker. Chris blew it out, Joey Sly in. Washington this season has had more kickers than wins. Just two wins, now three kickers. That's not good. Uh, That's not the way that this is supposed to be. More kickers than wins. But that's where we are as Chris Blewett joins the list of infamous former Washington players who were not Washington players for long and failed in spectacular fashion. You know, I was thinking about this list. It's a list that includes Mark Sanchez, Billy Cundiff, Larry Johnson. I'm sure that I'm forgetting, guys. I'm talking about players who were on Washington for less than a season, like a handful of games, and did not last. If you have names to add to that list, hit me up. But hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. In-depth reaction to Washington releasing Chris Blewett and signing Joey Sly is coming your way Next segment, the 2-6 and six Washington football team will be back practicing on this Wednesday in preparation for the Sunday afternoon's game against the 6-2 and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at 1. Coming up, I'll talk non-kicker Washington items with a special guest, Washington football team insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. We'll get into the state of Washington season, the state of Washington's rebuild, including the best route to a franchise quarterback, uh, Ron Rivera's recent comments on Chase Young, whether Jack Del Rio will be back as Washington's defensive coordinator for next season, 
and much more. Also, all post-game college basketball's opening night for Maryland and Virginia. One team did just fine. The other team did not. Wahoo-wah, losing at home to Navy. How about the midshipmen? What a performance on Tuesday night. I know that early season upsets happen every season in college basketball now, but this was a shocker. Navy winning at Virginia. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Eric from Weedman on Ron Rivera continually bringing up how often Chase Young and Montez Sweat have been chipped this season. Yes, we've been talking about that on the podcast. Oh, the chipping, uh, writes Eric. I like Don Ron, but the chipping comments worry me. My thought is that this is really basic and something the team should adjust to during the game or via game planning. Duh, of course they are going to be chipped more with that line. They should not need a stat hound to uncover this. Yeah, I neither get nor like Ron continually harping on Chase and Montez being chipped. You know, Ron has been citing this research that somebody did saying that Washington this season on third and sevens through third and tens is getting chipped in some form or fashion on 57% of defensive snaps with the league average being around 30%. Okay, I mean, I have no reason to doubt that stat. I'm not sure where it came from, but I'll accept that. But so what if that's true? You know, chipping isn't some groundbreaking tactic. Many great edge rushers get chipped and double teamed. It's your job as an edge rusher to overcome being chipped and double teamed. And if your team has an edge rusher who is consistently getting chipped and double teamed, then that should be leaving other guys to make plays. And as we all know, that hasn't been happening for Washington's defense this season. Overcome the chipping. You know, you would think that chipping means the offense having 15 players on the field as opposed to 11 with the way Ron references the chipping. Enough with the chipping, please. Uh, Email from Steve. I'm really enjoying your podcast. So far, I'm giving this offense an F for third downs and scoring in the red zone. For the defense, I give an E for effort for trying to keep us in games. If possible, on November 10th, wish me a happy birthday. I'm turning 41. Thanks. Appreciate your work. Hashtag H-T-T-W-F-T. Well, first of all, thank you for the email, Steve, and happy birthday to you on this November 10th. Uh, Actually, I would reverse those grades, though. I would give an F to the defense and an E for effort to the offense, because at least the offense has had the excuse of a truckload of injuries. But regarding the hashtag, H-T-T-W-F-T, hail to the Washington football team. So I thought about this. The hashtag, H-T-T-R, became quite popular over the last five to 10 years prior to the name change. Do you think that there's any added boost to a new name contender starting with the letter R so that that hashtag, HTTR, can be resurrected? Like, do you think that there's value in the new name starting with the letter R so HTTR can still be a thing? How much does that hashtag matter, do you think? You know, we haven't heard anything on the new name in a while, and that's probably a good thing. But one of the last things that we heard was Jason Wright in a tweet on August 19th confirming that the team was down to and working through three final candidates 
for the permanent name of the team. If that was true, and maybe it was not true, maybe the team already had and has the new name picked out, but if what Jason tweeted on August 19th was true, would a new name candidate starting with the letter R, like say Red Wolves, have an advantage because hashtag HTTR, which again became quite popular, could be a thing again. Something to think about. By the way, Jason Wright has largely stopped tweeting since the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. And as best as I can tell, hasn't done any interviews since the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. Jason Wright got harpooned for the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. And he, at least for now, has joined Dan Snyder in the land of the recluses, uh, Dan and Tanya Snyder, because Tanya has gone silent since her mangled appearance on the Adam Schefter podcast in an installment that dropped on September 7th. Well, Dan and Tanya, as you may know, are cancer survivors. Uh, Dan overcame thyroid cancer. Tanya overcame breast cancer. Uh, Ron Rivera, of course, overcame skin cancer. Uh, The cancer that Ron dealt with was squamous cell carcinoma. Did you know that skin cancer is the most common of all cancers? In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game-changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301 396 3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com that's midatlanticskin.com Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region So Chris Blewett we hardly knew ye. <laughs> the Chris Blewett era for the Washington football team ended up lasting less than a month. He became Washington's kicker on October 20th. He was released by Washington on November 9th. Perhaps his tenure as Washington kicker felt longer than that to you, but no, his tenure was not longer than that. 
He ended up being Washington's kicker for less than three weeks. The kicker whose last name is Blewett ended up lasting for less than three weeks as Washington's kicker. He blew it. And more significantly, Ron Rivera blew it. You blew it! Exactly. Uh, I actually feel somewhat bad for Chris Blewett. He seems like a nice guy. He's a local. He's from Northern Virginia. Went to West Potomac High School in Alexandria. He got put into a position into which he should have never been put in. Uh, Chris Blewett over his mere two-game run. That's it. Two games. Blewett over his mere two-game run as a Washington kicker. Went just two of five on field goals with all three misses being blocked field goal attempts. What's funny is that his two makes were lengthy field goals. Blew it in the loss at the Green Bay Packers in Week 7 connected on a fourth quarter 45-yard field goal and blew it in the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8 connected on a second quarter 52-yard field goal. So at the very least, nobody can ever take those makes away from him. But three blocked field goal attempts over his five total field goal attempts. Not good. Uh, Blew it in that loss at the Packers. Had a second quarter 42-yard field goal attempt that was blocked. Blew it in the loss at the Broncos. Had an early second quarter 45-yard field goal attempt that was blocked. And a fourth quarter 47-yard field goal attempt that was blocked. And so Ron Rivera on Tuesday released Chris Blewett and signed fellow kicker Joey Sly. Washington had worked out Sly on Monday, and it's funny how things played out. So as you may recall, Ron, during his postgame press conference after that loss at the Broncos on Halloween, said that Washington was not planning on trying out any kickers during its week nine bye week. Well, as far as we know, Ron held true to that, but he said nothing about the week that followed Washington's week nine bye week. Uh, Also, Ron, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, November 1st, as a defensive Blewett, gave the Graham Gano spiel uh, that Ron, during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach, had stuck with former Washington kicker Graham Gano during his struggles with the Panthers to see Gano end up becoming a really good kicker for the Panthers. Well, that ended up being, as I suspected, a kiss of death because Ron had done the exact same thing with Dustin Hopkins. Maybe you remember this. Ron, in a post-practice press conference on October 6th, gave the same Graham Gano spiel as a defensive sticking with Dustin Hopkins before doing what, right? Releasing Hopkins in favor of Blewett on October 20th. The next time that Ron brings up Graham Gano and talking about why Ron is sticking with a kicker, watch out because that kicker is as good as gone. So that decision by Ron on October 20th to release Hopkins in favor of Blewett. Where Ron Rivera went wrong wasn't in releasing Dustin Hopkins. It was in releasing Hopkins in favor of Chris Blewett. That's the thing to remember about this, probably as much as anything. Dustin Hopkins was a mediocre kicker for Washington over six-plus seasons with the team. Hopkins was Washington's kicker from September 2015 to October 2021. I went through the numbers for Hopkins with Washington on this podcast. It's not that Hopkins was terrible. It's that he was so-so. You could do better than Dustin Hopkins, but you also could do worse. And Washington did do worse than Hopkins in Chris Blewett, who Washington chose to replace Hopkins despite Blewett having never kicked in an NFL regular season game, despite Blewett having not kicked in a truly meaningful game since Pitt's 31-24 loss to Northwestern 
at Yankee Stadium in the Pinstripe Bowl on December 28th, 2016. And despite Blewett having gone just 25 of 40 on field goals over his final two collegiate seasons, which were the 2015 and 2016 seasons. Understand, it's not like Blewett was someone who had recently kicked in college. His last collegiate season was the 2016 season. It's 2021, people. And so we got what we got with Blewett as Washington's kicker. Three blocked field goal attempts out of five field goal attempts over two games. Ron completely whiffed in going with Blewett. Let's make that clear. Uh, Ron has said multiple times this season that there aren't many good kickers out there as free agents. Okay, fine. I hear Ron on that. I don't think he's wrong in saying that. But then why did you release Hopkins? The deal with Hopkins was, yes, you certainly could do better, but don't just release him to release him. Release him for someone who you believe has a very good chance or at the very least a pretty good chance of being better than Hopkins. Blewett was a total unknown. Again, the guy hadn't kicked in a meaningful game since December 2016. Kirk Cousins was Washington's starting quarterback the last time that Blewett had kicked in a meaningful game. Scott McLuhan was Washington's general manager the last time that Blewett had kicked in a meaningful game. And so now we welcome Joey Sly as Washington's kicker. Uh, Sly, like Blewett, is a local. Sly went to North Stafford High School in Stafford, Virginia, and then to Virginia Tech. Uh, Joey Sly was the Hokies kicker for four seasons, 2014 through 2017. But Sly, unlike Blewett, comes to Washington with significant NFL experience. Uh, Sly went undrafted in the 2018 NFL draft, finally signed with an NFL team in the New York Giants as an undrafted free agent in May 2019, but ended up making his NFL regular season debut for the Carolina Panthers, who, of course, had Ron Rivera as their head coach in September 2019. So, yes, Joey Sly is another Panther skin, uh, another former Panthers player who now is a Washington player. The Carolina Mafia for the Washington football team has grown by one. Now, I mentioned Joey Sly having made his NFL regular season debut for the Panthers in September 2019. It was Sly who replaced former Washington kicker Graham Gano as Panthers kicker. Uh, Graham Gano missed the final four games of the 2018 regular season and then all of the 2019 season due to an injury to his left leg, his plant leg. The Panthers released Gano in July 2020. Sly ended up being the Panthers kicker for the 2019 and 2020 regular seasons. Now, to me, when you're looking at a kicker, what you look at as much as anything is, okay, how did he do on lengthy field goal attempts? Because every kicker should have a high accuracy percentage on field goal attempts of, you know, 20 to 40 yards. What you're really wondering about is, okay, how is he on field goal tries of 40 yards and more? Well, Joey Sly, over his two seasons with the Panthers, went 15 of 19 on field goal attempts between 40 and 49 yards. That's not great. I mean, it's not atrocious, but that's also not great. You'd like to be a little bit better than 15 out of 19. What's interesting is this. Sly over his two seasons as Panthers kicker went just 9 of 17 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. But if you break that down, he went 8 of 11 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2019 regular season before going just 1 of 6 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards 
in the 2020 regular season. So in his first season as Panthers kicker, he was quite good on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. In his second season, he was woeful on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Now, Washington is Joey Sly's third team already this season. (laughs) Washington is replacing Chris Blewett with a guy in Joey Sly, who already is on his third team this season. Uh, Sly in this 2021 regular season was the Houston Texans kicker for three games in September and the San Francisco 49ers kicker for three games in October. Uh, Sly in his six total regular season games this season has gone 11 of 13 on field goals, including three of three on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Okay, that's good. You love that. Uh, But Sly in his six total regular season games this season has gone just nine of 12 on extra points, including just two of four on extra points over his three games with the 49ers in October. So Joey Sly this regular season, bizarrely, better on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards than he has been on extra point attempts. Go figure on something like that. So is Joey Sly an upgrade over Chris Blewett? Well, it would be hard to be worse. Although, always remember that things can always be worse. But at least in Joey Sly, Washington now has itself a kicker with NFL experience, and not a kicker who hadn't kicked in a meaningful game since December 2016. I still cannot get over that. I have to tell you, in thinking about Chris Blewett, I have been reminded of Billy Cundiff. Do you remember Billy Cundiff? I actually brought this up on the podcast a few weeks ago. Consider the following. So, I mentioned Graham Gano. Graham Gano was Washington's kicker for four games in 2009 and then for all of the 2010 and 2011 seasons. He, in the 2012 preseason, beat out Neil Rackers to retain Washington's kicking job, or so we thought. Mike Shanahan and Bruce Allen in late August 2012 released Gano and signed Billy Cundiff. That was a very surprising move at the time. So Cundiff replaced a guy in Gano who had been Washington's kicker for a while, just like Chris Blewett replaced a guy in Dustin Hopkins, who had been Washington's kicker for a while. And Cundiff, like Blewett, did not do well as a Washington kicker, although Cundiff lasted for five games with Washington, not just two games, as Blewett did. Cundiff was not good for Washington. He, over his five games for Washington in the 2012 regular season, went just seven of 12 on field goals, including just three of five on field goals between 30 and 39 yards. Yeah, Cundiff had a hard time as a Washington kicker. And so Washington in October 2012 released Cundiff and signed Kai Forbath, Cobra Kai. And he ended up being Washington's kicker until he was replaced by... Dustin Hopkins in September 2015. So maybe Joey Sly ends up lasting for a while as Washington's kicker, just like Cobra Kai did. But also, how about the circle of kicker life? And I tweeted this out on Tuesday. Amazingly, incredibly, here's what we now have. Chris Blewett is being replaced by Joey Sly, who in Carolina replaced Graham Gano, who in Washington was replaced by Billy Cundiff and then Kai Forbath, who was replaced by Dustin Hopkins, who was replaced by Chris Blewett. (laughs) It goes full circle from Chris Blewett to Chris Blewett. How about that for coming full circle? How about the incestuous nature of kicking in the NFL? 
And so to me, we have multiple lessons from the Chris Blewett experience. One of them is just because you can do better doesn't mean that you will do better. But another lesson is if you're going to cut a kicker who is mediocre, maybe don't do it for a guy who has never kicked in an NFL regular season game and hasn't kicked in a meaningful game in five years. You blew it! Yes, exactly. Well, the Washington football team has had many problems beyond kicker this season. And up next, we'll get into a number of those issues with Washington football team insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington, including what Pete makes of Ron Rivera's recent openness about Chase Young's struggles and whether Jack Del Rio will be back as Washington's defensive coordinator for next season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, time now for our special guest. He is Washington football team insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. You hear him on the Washington Football Talk podcast with J.P. Findlay and Mitch Tischler. You can follow Pete on Twitter at PeteHaleyNBCS. Pete, it's good to have you back on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel uh, recharged after a nice little bye week. No major news, which is a relief, and I'm ready for the second half here. And thank you for having me again. This is a uh, love the pod. I love checking it out every day, and I'm impressed by what you've done as usual. I appreciate that very much, man. So I know that JP and Mitch did not like your nickname for Taylor Heineke when he plays well, Tampa (laughs) Taylor. But given that Washington will be hosting Tampa Bay this Sunday, are you bringing back the movement to make Tampa Taylor a thing? (laughs) Um, No, and I, I appreciate you calling it a movement. I'm not sure if like one guy on a podcast and some random guy on Twitter who liked it is considered a movement, but uh yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of holds up the idea of Tampa Taylor. It's it's kind of like the Fitzmagic version of his nickname, but uh, I haven't really seen him reach those heights again. So I think Tampa Taylor might have just been a one-off, and we're just getting regular Taylor Heineke. So I'm going to let it die right then and there. Oh, man, that's too bad. Well, I know I speak for thousands <laughs> when I say I'm disappointed to hear that, but good, yeah. good job yeah, by thousands. you for coming up with that to begin with. So. All right, so things, as we know, have not gone well for Washington on and off the field uh, since that loss to the Bucks at FedEx Field in the wildcard game last January. When it comes to the rest of this season, and of course there are nine regular season games left, there are more games left for Washington than it has played this season. I know it doesn't necessarily feel that way, but that is the case. 
Uh, do you think that there's a realistic path by which Washington can have us feeling appreciably better about the team and this season by the end of this regular season? Or do you think that the way we all feel right now, you know, being down on the team, being down on the season, is the way that we'll all be feeling at the end of Week 18? I hadn't thought about there being more games left than have already occurred. So yeah. That's quite a statement you made there. Like, that's simple math, but that holds quite a bit of power in that statement. But um, yeah, I think there is like fans can feel better up to a certain degree. I mean, the, the defense can turn things around. Maybe Chase Young goes on a nice second half run. His conversations with Ron Rivera and Ron wanting more out of him pay off. That can certainly help, um, you know, skill guys like Antonio Gibson show a little bit more than he has. I think that's kind of an underrated storyline in the second half. Can this offensive coaching staff and Ken Gibson himself start to unlock all this talent that we know he has, but we have yet to really see. But ultimately, I think whatever good feelings this area gets will be limited because it's not like they're going to find a quarterback. It's not like one's going to fall out of the sky and land in FedEx Field and start taking snaps in November and December. And to that extent, like if this team starts winning and goes on a bit of a, a tear here, then that might anger some people because that's going to take them further down the draft board. <laughs> so whatever happiness or positive steps occur, I think will be pretty minute. And uh, we'll enter this offseason largely feeling the same way with maybe a, a few thumbs up here and there that we are experiencing right now. I do want to get to Chase Young with you in a bit here. But in terms of Ron Rivera, do you think that it's right for some fans, maybe even many fans, to have lost faith in Ron Rivera? Or do fans just need to, for lack of a better phrase, suck it up and, and understand that this rebuild was never going to be quick and easy. I'm kind of battling that with myself, honestly. I mean, I was really excited about Ron last year. I loved the calm demeanor he brought, and it seemed like players really enjoyed playing for him. And, you know, there are some coaching decisions I think he made that were a little bit questionable with timeouts and fourth downs and lineup changes, whatever. But overall, I was I was really impressed by Ron and excited to see him take this franchise uh, going forward. And now, you know, I feel myself kind of losing faith in him. And I'm trying to figure out, is that just me being an impatient person in the NFL? He's only had eight games this year since I left uh, last year feeling really good about him. Or is it kind of this is a guy who's, you know, he's had one really amazing season on his record books. He has a couple other good ones. And then for the other seven or eight, it's, it's been pretty mediocre. And I think it's okay for fans to start worrying a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, he's not like this young innovative guy who's who's regarded super well by the rest of the league he's a defensive head coach in a league that's going so heavy offense and even last year when things felt really good it was still seven and nine and required a lot of outside stuff to help him look good so uh yeah i think fans maybe need to chill out a tiny bit but i'm certainly not going to tell them to to not uh head to their closets where their pitchforks are because i do think there are some troubling things that are going on this year Talking Washington football team with WFT insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. So the Chase Young stuff from Ron Rivera on Monday was really interesting. And you did a great job of pressing Ron at his post-practice press conference on why he chose to go public with his criticisms of Chase, as Ron did in that Michael Silver piece on the team's official website. What do you make of Ron being so upfront and detailed and his criticism of Chase, first with Michael and then with you guys in that presser on Monday. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at is that, you know, of course, Ron has been uh, a little bit harsh in his critiques of Chase and various other players. But for the most part, it's general stuff. 
He's got to work harder. He's got to learn. He'll get there. And then he goes on with Michael Silver at the bye week and starts pointing out plays and starts honestly talking about like starts talking like someone at a bar on a Sunday. Like, where were those plays earlier? Like, good job making that play. But where have they been? And that's that's something I hear fans on Twitter say all the time. So it definitely struck a different chord with me. So I wanted to figure out why he felt the need to sort of elevate his criticism or or his takes on Chase Young. And his answer was fine. Um, but as far as what I make of it, I think he's annoyed that, you know, this is stuff he's been saying about Chase since really week one and week two. We've heard this just not to the level that he did with Michael Silver, but, you know, he's ducky inside. He's trying to make too many plays. That was something he said after week one about this defensive line. And then week two, he said the same thing. They're not staying in their rush lanes. And I guess now, after eight weeks, he's a little bit tired of having to say the same thing over and over again. So he's trying to get through to Chase and, and the rest of the players. Um, but as far as Chase goes individually... I think he can handle it. I think he's mature enough. And I still think Chase has a very, very bright future in the league. I think this first half is hopefully a blip on the radar of Chase Young, and we can look back on it and say, oh, that, that taught him some things that have been catapulted him into a fantastic career. And I think Chase definitely has the maturity to handle it. And it seems like him and Ron have a really good relationship. But make no mistake about it. While Ron tried to just downplay it and say, oh, no, I just answered the questions that were asked of me. It was a direct question. I gave a direct answer. That was a different level of scrutiny from Ron Rivera. And I am interested to see if it pays off in more Chase Young sacks and more impact plays down the stretch. It's so funny with this Washington defensive line because just a few months ago, everyone was worried about how Washington was going to ultimately be able to keep all of these defensive linemen. And, you know, these days you have people proposing trading away Deron Payne. You have people making jokes about Montez Sweat in August saying that he and Chase Young have talked about breaking the combined sack record. What to you is the truth about this Washington defensive line? Is it really good? Is it overrated? Is it good, but only able to impact games so much? Like, what to you is the right way of looking at this defensive line? I think it is a good defensive line. I certainly got ahead of myself in some of the things they said in the offseason. Um, you know, I think a lot of it was the quarterbacks they played last year. And I think we're also just at a point in the NFL where it might just be hard for a defensive line to dominate like it used to. I think there's just so much an offense can do, whether it's quick passes or having guys run across the line of scrimmage where it causes defenders, especially guys on the defensive line, to pause and not be sure, read option stuff, RPO. I think there's just so many ways for quarterbacks and, and offensive coordinators to freeze defensive linemen and prevent them from just unleashing. So, you know, I think Chase Young and Montez Sweat are still a really good pair of edge rushers. I think Deron Payne and John Allen are pretty good interior guys, especially Allen. Um, but, you know, I think we it's a combination of we overrated it a bit, got a little ahead of ourselves after seeing them destroy the likes of C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. And, uh, you know, sorry, C.J. Beathard, I don't think, played last year. I'm just getting my mediocre quarterbacks mixed up. Um, but besides that, it's also just a combination of overrating. And, you know, this just is what the reality of football is. You can't have a defensive line be the leader of your team. It has to be the quarterback and it has to be the offense. Another thing Ron brought up on Monday was maturity. This issue of maturity. He has brought this up over and over and over again and he pretty clearly thinks that the team is lacking in maturity. I would assume that Chase Young is one of those guys, but who else do you think Ron is talking about when he continually brings up maturity? That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's levied more at the defense. Um, you know, and it's weird because I think you, you talk to these players, a lot of them, you, they come across as very 
solid, good head on their shoulders, Chase certainly among them. But I think when he talks about maturity, he talks about the defense and perhaps that idea of they got a little too, you know, high on themselves almost. They they heard all the praise. They saw the numbers of their where they finished last year, top three in all these various categories, and then had a whole offseason of people doing segments on the radio and on the internet and, and stories about how good can they be? Will they be number one or will they be number two or will it be a bad year and they'll finish number five? So I think uh, he was very aware of that. He started using maturity in training camp. And I think it's it's at that front four, at that front seven. And it's weird. Like I said, Dron Payne and John Allen, talk to them. They're very mature. I think all they care about is football. But perhaps Ron just had a sense that this defense as a whole was a little too comfortable. And now it's uh, it seems to be proving to be correct. I have to tell you, I think maybe the single most entertaining thing on the planet right now are these Jack Del Rio Thursday press conferences because he wants to give you guys nothing. And when you do the compare and contrast between that and say what Ron did on Monday, it's like a total 180. And as you know, Jack has actually taken some jabs at Ron, basically saying, well, coach may talk about that, but I'm not going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what Jack was thinking with all of what Ron was saying about Chase Young on Monday. But anyway... When it comes to Jack, what's your gut tell you? Do you think that Jack will be back as Washington's defensive coordinator for next season? So I was picking up on those jabs and and sort of like a weird little disconnect between Jack and Ron last year. And when things were going bad, when they were two and five and this defense was getting torn up by various offenses, I started wondering whether Jack would be back after one year. It just seemed like him and Ron had that similar background. And it's easy to say, oh, old school linebackers, defensive first guys who are, who are nitty gritty and like to just beat people up. I thought they would get along great, but right away I said, are we sure these guys are friends? Ron says one thing. We asked Jack about it. Jack acts like Ron is an idiot for even saying that. And, <laughs> won't even address it. and that's, that's certainly continued this year. So with, unless this group really turns around, I could see there being a parting. Uh, Cause we know Ron likes to make adjustments and wants to satiate this fan base. I think the Dustin Hopkins release was certainly an example of that. And, uh, you know, moving Landon Collins around may be not be the best second example, but I think those are changes that Ron's making to not only improve his football team, but also to try and get the fan base to quiet down. And I think if the defense continues on the track that they're on, getting rid of Jack will be a move that is, is received well. So if you had to ask me right now, which you did, because you asked me that about a minute ago and we're on your podcast, I'd say, yeah, Jack is, is going to be gone next year. I also think Jack is seems like a guy who's very uh, alpha personality and likes to do things his own way, and he might start just really grow tired of Ron's sort of dealings and the way he's doing things. So I, I would not be surprised at all if this is the last year of Del Rio and, and Ron tries to go out and find somebody else and just try and rearrange things and get things right for one last charge here as Washington's head coach. With Taylor Heineke, do you think that he will remain as Washington's starting quarterback the rest of this season? I don't think so. I just think um, we've kind of seen where Taylor is, his highs and his lows. And I do think eventually Ron will insert Kyle Allen um, just because, you know, when he put in Alex Smith last year, he said it wasn't just about Alex. It was about having Alex run this offense well so he could evaluate the rest of the team. Alex was able to get the ball out and distribute it to certain guys and get all the receivers involved. And not that Taylor's doing a a poor job of that. I mean, he's throwing to Milne and Carter in addition to Humphreys and McLaurin. But some of the sacks that he took against Denver felt like just rudimentary mistakes that uh, maybe a Kyle Allen is able to avoid because he's able to, you know, be a little bigger, see over the line, have a better arm, and just run this offense a bit more smoothly. So I think Heineke will get a few more chances for sure. But nine more games, like you said, there's more ahead than there is behind. I think 
that will expose more of Taylor's flaws. And eventually, Ron and Scott will just put all eight back there because they want to see maybe what they have in Gibson or, or Dax Millen or, you know, Ricky Seals Jones and Logan Thomas. Can, can Kyle Allen execute better in the red zone? Can he get this offense to put up a few more points? So it's a long way of saying I think Taylor will get benched eventually. When it comes to this never-ending quest for a franchise quarterback for Washington, you know, QBX, as you guys say on the podcast, do you think the draft has to be the way? Like, I just the way I look at things now, I'm like, realistically, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, you know, even if you're open to trading for Watson, they're not going to want to come here. So it feels to me like the path to a franchise quarterback this coming offseason is almost certainly going to have to be the draft. Do you see things that way or not necessarily? I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lame take. This offseason has to be where they get a quarterback. Like, duh, of course, it has to be the one. I'm not completely out on the veteran market like it sounds like you are, but you know, I, I certainly understand that. So I think draft is certainly the more likely avenue, and it's going to be with that first-round pick. And that kind of goes back to what I said about this team perhaps finding its groove a little bit. Well, if you find your groove in this next two-month stretch, that might set you back for the for the long haul here. But I do think it's got to be that first-round pick. Uh, we know quarterbacks will rise up on the draft board. I know people say this class isn't that good, but there's still plenty of time left in a combine and an interview process where guys start to really improve their stock. So uh, Ron and the staff, I think, will have to find their guy in April. And that kind of concerns me a little bit because say they find their guy they, they spend a top 10 pick on him, and next year it doesn't go that well. And then, okay, is the staff going to be around for when this quarterback uh, has to – sorry, that motorcycle made a lot of noise. Will the staff be around for when this quarterback is ready to really break out? And then you have a new staff come in for this quarterback, and it's sort of this mismatched timeline that we see so often here in Washington. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely worried about things, but I think it's time for them to draft one. And it's, you know, whether they like them or love them, I think they're just going to be forced in a spot where they have to take. One more for you. You brought up Antonio Gibson earlier. It's tricky with him, right? Because he's dealt with this shin injury this season. So like how much of the fall off in production as the season has gone on is due to the shin? We do not know. But uh, what are your impressions of the season that Gibson is having? I just think that run in Green Bay to start the second half, it was a six yard run. But he got tripped up in the hole, and he had one guy left to make miss, and it would have been like a 75-yard touchdown. I think that sums up where I'm at about Gibson. just feels like there's he's so close to unlocking all that he has, but he just can't get there. I mean, think about the way he played in college, the highlights he had. He was a home run hitter more so than like Black Guerrero Jr. I mean, he was just scoring touchdowns from all over the field. And in Washington, he's had... A really good game on Thanksgiving last year. We had like a 30-yard touchdown run, and he had the 78-yard catch and run in Buffalo. But aside from that, where are these home runs? Why aren't we seeing more big plays of 24 breaking out to the open field? So that is, that's where I'm at on him. I think he's had a certainly a, a okay to good year, but I want to see a lot more. And that's not only on him. I think that falls on the coaching staff. I know McKissick is a pass-catching extraordinaire, but for Gibson to be such a non-factor in the passing game is really – disappointed me and, and surprised me after hearing them name drop Christian McCaffrey and talk about how he's ready to take the next step. And now he's just catching one ball for seven yards every week. That that's uh, perturbing me as well. So like the, the run in green Bay, it's just, it was a good run, but there is so much more left. And that kind of, I think sums up Gibson's second year and really his career as a whole pretty well. 
Yeah, that's a good point about the McCaffrey stuff. For all of the grief that Montez Sweat gets for the combined sack record thing, all of the comps in the offseason of Antonio Gibson is going to be Washington's Christian McCaffrey. I mean, how, how does that look right now? Well, Pete, uh, keep, keep up the great work. Uh, we enjoy reading you and listening to you. Uh, you can follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Haley, NBCS. And perhaps we will see the triumphant return of Tampa Taylor this Sunday. Who knows? But appreciate you coming on, man. If that happens, I'm going to just revive the nickname like uh, like I, I loved it all along. So let's hope people forgive me. If he somehow beats Tom Brady, it'll be Tampa Tail all over again. But if not, that nickname never happened. And, and like a lot of people, I said some things in the offseason I regret. So let's just move on. From <laughs> okay. All the best, man. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Good to talk Washington football team with Pete Haley. And now let us talk college hoops. The 2021-2022 college basketball season began on Tuesday. We had a shocker for Virginia. I'll get to that momentarily. But we begin with Maryland. Uh, Number 21 Maryland began its season with an 83-69 win over Quinnipiac at Xfinity Center in College Park on Tuesday night. Now, before we go any further, the game was not on regular television. And I put regular in quotation marks because these days, what qualifies as regular television really is up to you. But this game was only on Big Ten Network Plus, which is a subscription service. Uh, That, to me, was not good. You know, college basketball needs all of the help that it can get right now in terms of popularity, especially in this area. College basketball is not nearly the big deal in this area that it was, say, 20 years ago. And I get that subscription services are where we're at. I get that conferences and schools are trying to generate as much money as possible. But you had people on Tuesday night searching for this game and not being able to watch this game because those people do not subscribe to Big Ten Network Plus and don't want to subscribe to Big Ten Network Plus. I don't subscribe to Big Ten Network Plus. I get Big Ten Network, but I'm not doing Big Ten Network Plus, okay? I don't need to watch Rutgers volleyball games. Thank you very much. So I thought that it was unfortunate that you have the start of a Maryland basketball season for which there is some excitement, right? I mean, the Terrapins are the number 21 team in the latest Associated Press poll, and the game wasn't readily available for people to watch. Anyway, the Terps did roll in this game. Uh, The victory was the Terrapins' 45th consecutive win in a home opener, dating back to the 1977-1978 season. Head coach Mark Turgeon's starting five were Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Georgetown transfer Kudis Wahab. And of all of the changes for Maryland for this season, the fact that the team now has some true size is maybe the most welcome change. Kudis Wahab is 6'11". He on Tuesday night, in just 17 minutes as a starter, had 17 points on 7-10 shooting, 6 rebounds, 2 blocks, and 2 assists versus 1 turnover. And then you have 6'9 freshman Julian Reese. He's a consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. Reese on Tuesday night in just 19 minutes off the bench, 11 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 7 rebounds, including 4 offensive boards, 3 blocks, 
and the steal. Reese's three block shots, the most for a Terp in his Maryland debut since Alex Len had three block shots in his first collegiate game on December 28th, 2011. Here was Mark Turgeon during his post-game press conference. Uh, our centers were terrific. Q was great. Uh, Julian was great. Uh, it's nice to have guys that can score around the rim. Uh, they were terrific. Um, and we'll get better from this. It was really good. Really good to get out of the way. we got a lot of new guys. And we're trying to, you know, we had one, one second on the shot clock out of our center, and I was calling a play that we don't have in yet. But the old guy, a bunch of veterans would have known it, and I had one veteran and not the guy throwing it in. So i uh, got to coach a little better moving forward. got a lot to do, uh, a lot of games coming up, so hopefully we can get better with all these games coming up. Yes, hopefully, but Maryland's lack of size last season was a real issue. You have size now this season with Wahab and Reese. You also still have Eric Igala, three of seven on threes for him on Tuesday night. Finished with 13 points, eight rebounds, and two assists versus no turnovers in 27 minutes as a starter. Rest of the Terps only went three of 10 on threes. Uh, Next up for Maryland, home to George Washington Thursday evening at 6.30. So this season opening win over Quinnipiac was not a perfect game for the Terps, but this was a win. And you don't take that for granted, not off what happened to Virginia on Tuesday night. What happened to Wahoo Wah? Number 25 Virginia began its season with a stunning 66-58 loss to Navy at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Tuesday night. This is Navy's first win over an Associated Press Top 25 team since then number 17 Navy's 97-85 win over then number 9 Syracuse at the Carrier Dome in the second round of the 1986 NCAA tournament. Yes, Navy had not defeated a ranked team since March 1986. David Robinson, the admiral in that game, was a monster. 35 points, 11 rebounds, 7 blocks, 3 steals, and 5 turnovers in 35 minutes as a starter. But Navy is to be respected. Head coach Ed DeCellis does a good job. Navy did Georgetown dirty early last season. Perhaps you remember this. December 1st, 2020, Navy won at Georgetown, 78-71 in a game at McDonough Arena. Uh, Navy had not defeated a Big East team since November 1996, had not defeated a current Big East team since December 1981, and had not defeated Georgetown since January 1977. And all of that changed with that Navy win at the Hoyas last December. Uh, Navy won that game despite it having been Navy's fourth game in seven days and despite the game having been Georgetown's first game in six days. So, you know, it's surprising, yes, that Navy won at Virginia on Tuesday night. Make no mistake, but Navy can do this kind of thing and Navy did this kind of thing on Tuesday night. So as for this win for Navy at Virginia on Tuesday night, Navy led for most of the game. Uh, The Cavaliers' biggest lead was a two-point lead early in the first half. Navy led in the game for 31 minutes, 53 seconds of the 40 minutes. Three-point shooting was a big factor. UVA went just four of 16 on threes. Navy went 11 of 21 on threes, including eight of 12 on threes 
in the first half. John Carter Jr. for Navy went five of eight on threes. Sean Yoder for the midshipman went three of three on threes. All three of his threes came over the first five minutes of the game. The Wahoos' first half defense left a lot to be desired. Head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference. Navy is mature. Um, good ball club last year. They run their stuff hard and um, they got whatever they wanted in the first half. I mean, shot lights out and um, sometimes we were there, uh, sometimes we weren't and they, anytime we broke down, they kind of took advantage. Um, but in the second half, we started to resemble how we needed to play defensively. We were a little more aggressive, pressured the ball, got the shooters. I thought there was more urgency not perfect and then the breakdowns at certain times defensively cost us but that has to is how it has to be for us all 40 minutes um but uh yeah you know perhaps we could have but again i hats off to to coach to eddie does a good job with those guys i remember we played them two years ago and um they're tough to guard um they had us i think down in the second half um and then they just made the plays and they got on the glass we had turnovers you know the things that are are costly that you look at um, to eliminate losing, we didn't in terms of offensive rebounds allowed, some turnovers, and then obviously we struggled to knock down shots. At times we were a little hesitant. They did a good job. They jumped in the zone. They kind of jammed some things up, and um, those are things we're going to see. Yes, you are. Some notable individual performances for Virginia. East Carolina graduate transfer Jaden Gardner, 18 points on 7 to 13 shooting and 10 rebounds, but he also committed five turnovers in 33 minutes, two seconds as a starter. Reese Beekman was the Cavs' best player. He had eight points on four of eight shooting, six steals, six assists versus one turnover, and five rebounds in 37 minutes, 31 seconds as a starter. But when Virginia does not D up, Virginia gets in trouble. And that was the case on Tuesday night. Next up for Virginia, home to Radford, Friday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 185, will feature lots on the Washington football team of it practicing on Wednesday for the Sunday afternoon's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at 1. We'll see if Logan Thomas practices. And we anticipate hearing from Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke on Wednesday via each guy's post-practice press conference. Also, a post-game, the Wizards game on Wednesday night. Wiz will be at the Cleveland Cavaliers Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You blew it! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.